Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 30th, 2021, we continue our series titled Uncommon Joy, the Book of Philippians. Today's sermon, Living in the Lord, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Enjoy. This morning we begin Philippians chapter 4. It's the fourth and final chapter in our book study in Philippians. Uh, And typically when you get to the end of one of Paul's letters, as we're going to see this morning, he tends to take this kind of shotgun topical approach as he comes to an end. Um, This may be to just fire off some important things to hit before he signs his name at the end of his letter. Uh, So we're going to be really all over the place as we land this plane. Uh, Our hope and prayer is that it's not a super bumpy ride. I think it really fits together uh, well and applies to our life to help us glorify God in everything that we say and do. Last week, we looked at good examples and bad examples of how to follow Jesus. Those are good things to learn from on both ends. It's nice to know how to do something, but just as important, it's nice to know how to not do it. And that's what we saw last week. What we're going to see this morning is three seemingly unrelated topics connected by one phrase, and that phrase is in the Lord. In the Lord. How many of you plan on spending some time by the pool tomorrow? Now, being by the pool is being different than being in the pool or being about the pool. Uh, And as Christians, we might say our life is about Jesus. We might say we live by Jesus. We may even say we live for Jesus. And all of those things are true, but that's different than being in Jesus. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Yes, our lives should be about the Lord. Yes, our lives should be for the Lord. Yes, uh, our, our lives should be about him, by him, for him, through him, all of those. But also, the Christian life is meant to be lived in the Lord. That's what we're going to see this morning, how to live a life in the Lord. We're in Philippians chapter 4. Let me read verses 1 through 4. That's our text for today. Uh, I'll pray for us, and then we'll hop into it to see what God has for us. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4 says this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let's pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we know this morning it's your word that's been spoken and it's your word that we trust as the authority for our life. God, more than just your word, it's you. We trust in you. God, today I ask that you would open our eyes, that we could see you more clearly, open our ears to hear you in ways we haven't heard before, open our minds to understand and know you, and as a result, open our hearts that we would respond in a life lived in love in the Lord. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus, for your glory and your glory alone. And all God's people said, Amen. Philippians chapter four, verses one through four, we have three seemingly unrelated topics connected by one statement in the Lord. That's what we're gonna really focus in on this morning, what it means to live a life in the Lord. The first in the Lord statement we see is in Philippians four, verse one. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm in the Lord. Now, the first thing he says in this verse, he says, therefore. 
And if you've been around Highlands for a while um, or done some Bible study, when you see the word therefore, you always go back to see what it's there for. It's always going back to something else that informs where we're going in this passage. So if we rewind just a few verses in Philippians chapter three, verse 20 and 21, it says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, because we belong to a different kingdom, because we serve a different king, because our power comes from him, therefore, therefore stand firm in the Lord. I'm gonna come back to this stand firm in the Lord uh, in just a moment. But first, there's a bunch of like fuzzy, fluffy words that Paul uses right off the bat. He says, man, my brothers... Uh, and this is speaking to Christians, brothers and sisters in the church, and it's really just a term of endearment, a term of, term of love, a familial relation, just to show like, man, I've, I really care for you, you're my brothers, you're my sisters. Before he gives them the command, he wants them to know how much he really cares. My brothers whom I love, whom I long for. He probably hasn't seen these people in five to 10 years, uh, and they've been corresponding through some letters, and the, the church had been sending him some gifts, some stuff, some food, some snacks, maybe like some Cheez-Its and stuff. Not totally sure what they were sending, but um, really good thing. He's super grateful for, for all of it, as we see in the book, who I long for, I wanna be with you, and, and you, we don't use a lot of language like this, right? Like if you show up to work, my brothers, loved ones, who I long for, we don't speak this way in the church. We do more like, what's up? That's our lingo. But we know what this feels like. If you've ever gone away from your family for like a week, week and a half, two weeks, maybe the first couple days you're like, this is fantastic, I can breathe, no one's touching me, this is awesome. And then three or four days into it, you kind of get this longing. Like I miss my family, I miss my kids, I miss my wife, I long for them. That's the emotion behind this. I long to be with you. My joy, my crown. Uh, a week and a half ago, we had a year-end baptism feast and celebration. How many of you attended that, that evening? It was wonderful. 44 people um, were baptized. Another person came forward and professed faith in Jesus for the first time, gave their life to the Lord. It was an incredible evening. And throughout that evening, there was joy. I talked to my friend Kim Klein over here who leads a small group. Four people from her small group got baptized. And in the same way that Paul sees this church and says, my crown, and this isn't like a king's crown, this is more like a crown you'd get for winning a race. It's success, it's a trophy. Kim got to experience this. This was like my crown. So much joy. I, I just love the reward of seeing people walk with Jesus. That's how he feels about these people, and he expresses it to them. My joy and crown, my beloved. Now, this is just not language we typically use in our normal conversation with Christians. Maybe it should be. Maybe we should express this type of brotherly love to each other. He certainly seems to model it here, and just like last week, we learned from examples of what not to do and examples of what to do. Maybe this is a good example of what to do. Share the way we feel with the people we care in the church. Love them. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Jesus said it's a really big deal. That through the way that we love and interact with each other, the world will know we're Christians. John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus speaking says this, a new command I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love 
one another. Now check this out. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have a Christian fish on the back of your car. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have lots of Bible verse memorized and Christian clothing and you can sing the songs, great church attendance, and you tithe. It doesn't mention any of that. Or any of those bad things. No, you can say those are, those are good things to do. We should stand for what we believe in. We should give where our heart is, put our money where our mouth is. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. How? If you have what? Love for one another. Love for one another. This is like the mark of a real Christian. This is how the world knows you belong to Jesus, how you treat Jesus' people. And it's so clear the way Paul speaks to this church. He, he's, he belongs to Jesus. He is a follower of Christ. Friends, I don't know what it looks like for us to model this in our life perfectly, to speak this way to one another, um, but I think we should try to figure that out, that the world would know we're Christians based upon the way that we treat and speak with those who are also in Christ. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I love this phrase, stand firm. It's a military term for like, hold! You've seen the movie Braveheart? You've not seen the movie Braveheart? <laughs> Neither have I, because I'm a pastor. I've never seen it. But supposedly, there's this scene in this awesome movie that I should see uh, where William Wallace, he's like leading, leading his troops, right? And they're all standing in line and the English cavalry are, they're charging for him. It's slow motion and you see like the horses and the dirt's flying behind him and like the horse knots, it's disgusting. It's like flying everywhere. And these guys are looking big and bad and he's got an ax and they're face painted and stuff and the horses are just they're coming faster and faster, still in slow motion. Uh, and William Wallace is like, hold! You remember this scene? You know this. I've seen it, by the way. Um, and again, back to slow motion. Horses, snot, dirt, flying everywhere. Axe, hold! And then again, horses, dirt, snot, axe, hold! And it's just the stand firm. Stand firm. Don't be knocked over so easy. Why? Why should Christians stand firm? Because life can be hard. Life will knock you down. But the instruction for us is to stand firm in the Lord. How? He just gave us the answer. That's the therefore. We go back to 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven. Focus on a different kingdom, not this kingdom, a different kingdom. How do we stand firm? We focus on the kingdom to which we belong. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We focus on a different kingdom, and because we serve a different kingdom, we serve a different king. We focus on our heavenly kingdom and we focus on our heavenly king. It says he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. How do believers stand firm in the Lord? We focus on a different kingdom. We focus on a different king and we live by that king's power. That's the secret to it. That's how we stand firm. Why? Why stand firm? We all want to stand firm. Who here wants security? We all want to feel safe. We don't want to live a life that gets knocked over. And this is what we do. We try to build a life that's secure, that will weather any type of storm. But most of the time, if we're honest, we kind of invest in the wrong thing, thinking that'll bring safety, success, and stability. And it doesn't. We're like the fool who builds 
an amazing home right on the sand. What happens? The storm comes. House is gone. Wise man, what's he do? Builds his house on the rock. Who's the rock? On Christ the solid rock I stand. That's the rock. We build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We find our security. We find our stability in him. I'm gonna invite my friend Josiah to come up here real quick. Yeah, everyone give it up for Josiah. Thanks, man. Josiah is one of the best people I know. Um, One of the strongest guys I know. And I don't just mean physically. He is one of the uh, strongest mentally, uh, spiritually, emotionally, all the things. He is a very, very strong man of God. And you look at a guy like this, a specimen, (laughs) who used to fight MMA. That's a real story. So don't punch me in the face about these things I'm saying to you. Strong guy. Yeah, but you'd think like probably pretty firm and no one's gonna knock him over. But if he's not paying attention... I can get the jump on him and knock him over. Now, what happened there? I talked you up really big, told everyone how strong you were. You were a specimen, MMA fighter, and just a little poke, and you're falling down. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't ready that time, so I just need another, <laughs> need another go. Yeah, okay, it. okay. You weren't yeah, ready. Yeah. You weren't ready. So if you get ready, we'll take this so we don't break it. The people will get mad. Are you ready? And you think I'm not going to knock you over. I fight dirty. I got little kids. Here we go. You ready? No, bro. No. Dude. You're supposed to just stand firm, not push me across the stage. You're a pastor, but I, I don't care, man. All right. Everyone give it up for my friend. Yeah, thanks, man. I love what you said. Why did I knock you over? You said, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. And I think that's what happens for most of us. Why does life knock you down? You're not ready. You're not ready for it. The enemy's everywhere. Like He's searching like a lion, looking for something to devour, to knock you down. Unseen and unforeseen life circumstances and situations knock you down. What's Paul say? Stand firm. Stand firm. Where does our firm foundation come? It comes from Jesus. How do we stand firm? We focus on a different kingdom. We focus on a different king. And we focus on living by his power and his power alone. And in doing so, we stand firm in the Lord. Not just about the Lord. Not just by the Lord. Not just for the Lord. But we stand firm in the Lord. That's the first thing. We stand firm in the Lord. The second thing that we see here is to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. Verse two says this, I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche. And here's our phrase, to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. Now he says this, as I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche. If you're pregnant and looking for some new baby names, I haven't heard those being real popular lately. So if you're looking to be original, Yodia and Syntyche, I think, should be top of the list for you. Uh, He uses this word entreat. Now, Paul's an apostle. That means he has the authority to command. And he could easily say, I command you, Yodia, and I command you, Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Figure it out and get along. I've tried that with my kids, and it doesn't work. He could command, but he doesn't. What does he do? He entreats them. He pleads with them. Please, please. I encourage you, I come alongside you. You've got to agree in the Lord. 
Now, we don't know who these women are, but it seems like they held a pretty prominent position within the church according to what it says about them um, in verse three. We don't know what the situation is at all, and what's interesting here is Paul doesn't focus on the situation, but what he focuses on is the solution, which I think is probably the way we ought to deal with our conflict in life, is not just dwell on the situation, but work towards and focus on the solution. Work towards the solution. Work towards a, a way to move forward in your relationship. Work, work towards what it looks like to agree in the Lord. And I love that statement, in the Lord. Why does that matter? Because it means they're playing by the same playbook. They're both Christians. They're both followers of Jesus. And there's a certain way that God expects followers of Jesus to act when it comes to conflict. We work through it. We forgive. We reconcile. We work for, towards restoration. That's what we should do in our relationship. So he entreats them to agree in the Lord. We go to verse three, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, and we don't really know who true companion is. This could be a person. It could be an elder. I think it more so has to do with the whole church based upon the way that he's talked with them and talked about them of being partners in ministry, their companionship, their friendship, their relationship, their fellowship. I think he's speaking to the church. I ask you also, true companion, church, Philippians, help these women. See, this is interesting, because typically if people are beefing and they're fighting with each other, our tendency is to be like, it's not my business. It's their situation to figure out. Just let them work through it. But that's not what Paul says to this church. He encourages the two women, right, Yodius and Tyche, you need to work through it and agree. But then he says, also, church, True companion, Christians, those are part of the fellowship who have partnered in gospel ministry with these people, help them. Help them figure it out. And that could be praying for them. Uh, it could be come along, coming alongside of them in the same way that Paul comes alongside them and entreats them instead of lording it over them. We too come alongside people and we can say, can I help you guys figure it out? Do you just sit down? Um, and maybe I can help kind of mediate a conversation. See, a lot of the stuff is, it's personal, but it's not always meant to be private. It's a very important distinction there. You might have some personal conflict, but it's not just meant to be left private. Maybe you need the church to step in and help you process and work through it. That's what Highlands is. Highlands is your true companion. Whatever conflict you're going through, maybe you're, you're feeling like so at odds with someone in your life that, that you just can't do this on your own, let us know. We'd be happy to step in as your true companion and help you try to agree in the Lord. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Again, we're all Christians in this. That's what he's, what he's saying here. All of these names are in the book of life. All of these people belong to Jesus. We need to agree in the Lord. We need to try and figure it out. We need to try and pursue unity with one another in the church. Why is unity such a big deal to Jesus? Because just like love somehow shares the gospel with the world, our unity shares the gospel with the world. Exactly how that works, I'm not totally sure, but John 17, Jesus praying, high priestly prayer, shortly before he goes to the cross, he says this, I do not ask for these only, speaking of the 12 who are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. We have believed in Jesus through the word of the apostles. 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, united, agreeing in the Lord, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that, here's a purpose statement, why? Why is it such a big deal? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Somehow, in some way, through our unity with believers in the church, the world believes that God sent his only son. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Again, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfectly one. So that, again, purpose statement, that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Is unity a big deal to Jesus? Unity is a huge deal to Jesus. Somehow, in some way, when the world sees a united church, it sees Jesus. The world knows we belong to him because of our love for one another. And the world knows that God sent him because of our unity with each other. I don't know what type of conflict you've been facing, um, but the world will tell you if you're facing conflict with someone, just cut them off and cancel them. Be done with them. If you don't like them, get them out of your life. Your life will be better that way. That's not Jesus. Okay, the world would say, if your friends on Facebook hold different views than you, then make sure you post something that says something like, if you even believe in blank, or if you even voted for blank, if you even think this about blank, then you should go ahead and unfriend me. That's what this world has come to. We just get rid of people we disagree with, so we develop our own little echo chambers and surround ourselves with people who think just like us. That's not the church, and that's not Jesus. Jesus tells us to agree in the Lord, to work towards unity, not just cut off relationships and end it. Work towards a restoration in that relationship. How does conflict work? I want to give you five steps of conflict just so we can see what this looks like in our own life. And you might recognize at some point in here a stage that you are at with a friend. Um, And I'll be honest with you, I was at one of these stages with a really close friend just last week and it took a while to work through it, pray about it, and get ready for it. But by the grace of God, really happy we worked through it. Otherwise, it just keeps on running and then disunity prevails. Here's how conflicts work. The first thing is this. It begins with an issue. It always begins with an issue. This could be a big thing, like an intentional thing, or it could be a small thing, an accidental thing. It could be uh, someone's talking bad about you on TikTok, bad about you on Instagram, bad about you on whatever, and you hear about it, that's an issue. It's intentional. But it could be someone looked at you in a way that you perceived as weird, and it was an accident, but now there's an issue. So we confront it. We try to work through it. The second step of conflict, it results in a pushback. I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. And I'm, hard, I'm, so, I'm so sorry that you were hurt. I'm so sorry you felt that way. But you kind of deserved it. There's pushback. There's pushback. Really, no, you're just sensitive. Stop being so sensitive and we wouldn't have a problem. You thought more about things like I did, and you were more logical. There's pushback. Step three, walls go up. Now we start avoiding each other. Right? You see him in the hallway at school. You see him out in the church lobby. You see him at a grocery store, a coffee shop. You see him at the gym, uh, and there's this avoidance. 
Or you just give them the good old-fashioned silent treatment. Anyone employed this tactic before? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's the go-to. Just don't talk to them. They'll go away eventually. Walls go up. The fourth step, opposition intensifies. Now we start building teams. We start gossiping and slandering. This happens when churches split. This happens when businesses split. This happens when close friend groups split. We start building little teams. It's he said, she said, or she said, she said, or he said, whoever said, whatever it is, right? I mean, there's, this, this happens, and now we have little camps. Opposition intensifies. There's gossip, there's slander, there's anger. And if we don't fix it there, the fifth and final step, disunity prevails. And within the church, that's not God's heart. God does not want to see disunity prevail. Jesus prays for unity. That's why we step in and agree in the Lord. So what's that look like? Let me give you four Bible verses of of what to do if you're facing conflict. If you are sinned against, someone sins against you, if they've done something wrong, Matthew 18, verse 15 says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. This is important between you and him or her alone. Don't social media blast it. Don't subtweet them. Like, go talk to them. Alone, just them. Work through it. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Now that passage goes on and says, if they don't listen, bring a couple trusted brothers, maybe an elder, pastor from the church, whoever, just bring some people with you and confront them on it again. And if they still don't listen, they still don't confess, don't repent, then you bring it before the church. If you sin against someone else, this one's the bummer. If you sin against someone else, because you've got to swallow your pride and ego and realize you haven't been totally sanctified in the Lord yet, Matthew 5, 23, 24 says this, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remembered that your brother has something against you, you've done something wrong to someone and you remember it, that they have something against you, look what it says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, if we were gonna take this literally because we have gathered today to offer our gifts to the Lord, to worship him, and if we were gonna be real about this, we'd say, okay, if anyone knows right now that someone in the church who are Christians, not just in Highlands Church, but the universal church all over the world, if a Christian has something against you because you've sinned against them, you can be dismissed. Go make it right. I mean, probably half the room would have to get up and leave, if we're honest. The rest of us would have to repent for lying to the Lord, and then we would join hands and also walk out the doors and go figure out who we've wronged and make it right. That's how serious he is about this. If you've wronged someone, go make it right. Then come back and offer your gift again to the Lord. We're always supposed to forgive. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive because Christ forgave. Matthew 6, 14 through 15 says, for if you, give others their, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That sounds scary to me. That if I don't forgive someone, then God won't forgive me. No, I don't want to find out what that really means. I'd much rather just freely offer forgiveness just like Christ has offered me forgiveness. 
And when we're close with Jesus and we stand as close to the cross as we can and realize just of how much junk God has forgiven us from, it becomes much easier for us to forgive those in our life who have hurt us. Now, please don't hear me saying, um, if run right back to that abusive relationship because you gotta forgive them. Okay, forgiveness is different than reconciliation, which is different than restoration. There are some relationships in your life where you are probably healthier and better off not restoring them to the position of trust they were once in. Someone's abused you emotionally, physically, sexually, whatever it might be, it's probably best to not have a fully restored relationship with them. But you can be reconciled. You can forgive because that's what God has done for us. God calls us to agree in the Lord. The third and final thing, we're told to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Rejoice here, it means this. It's like a a big sense of gratitude, gladness, um, satisfaction, and delight. And we certainly experience moments of joy in our life, but this is a different kind of joy. This is a joy that doesn't fade because oftentimes the joy and happiness we experience in life, it does fade. The birth of a new baby is the most exciting thing and the most joyful thing, one of the most joyful things I've ever encountered in my life. But this morning, I woke up with three kids and a dog in my bed, and it wasn't that joyful. (laughs) Like, I love them to death. But there's moments where it's like, God, it's not, not no joy. High school graduation's awesome. College graduation is awesome until your parents kick you out. (laughs) Then you're off payroll. You're on your own. Joy fades. You get a promotion. The promotion comes with some more cash. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But more cash also came with more stress, more hours, more headache. Joy fades. Where is our joy as believers meant to be placed? Rejoice in who? In the Lord. And how often? Always. When stuff is going great in life, Rejoice, of course, in the Lord, always. Well, when stuff's not so great, you're sick, bad medical report, lost your job, COVID took a loved one, family splits over like weird race conversations that happen. Rejoice then in the Lord? Always. Always. All my life you have been faithful. We just sang this. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing what? Of the goodness of God. Whether it's a good thing or not a good thing, believers find their joy in the Lord, not situations we face in our life because there's gonna be highs and there's gonna be lows, but the only constant is Jesus, always. So we rejoice in the Lord Always, I was talking to a mom um, of my boys' football team. Their season just ended a couple weekends ago. Um, She got diagnosed with breast cancer for the second time just a few weeks back. And we were talking about her, and I just said, hi, you know, how are you doing? What can I be praying for? What's going on? Uh, and, And her response was this. She just said, I don't like this. Don't like this. But if this is God's plan, and this is how God wants to use my life somehow for him and for his glory, I'm okay with that. I will rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in cancer. We don't rejoice in pain. 
We don't rejoice in sorrow, but just like we don't rejoice in success. We don't rejoice in our health. We don't rejoice in our accomplishments. All of those are misplaced. We rejoice in one thing. We rejoice in the Lord. He's the only constant that does not change. We rejoice in the Lord because he never changes. We rejoice in the Lord because he is good. We rejoice in the Lord because he can actually be trusted. We rejoice in the Lord because his love endures forever. We can rejoice in the Lord because unlike our friends and our family, he never leaves us or forsakes us. We rejoice in the Lord because he's with us in our pain. We rejoice in the Lord because his joy is our strength. We can rejoice in the Lord because he's working all things for our good and for his glory. We can rejoice in the Lord because he is our rock and our salvation. We can rejoice in the Lord because someday we will dwell with him in perfect harmony, perfect unity forever. And that's just the beginning. We have so many reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Friends, let it be said of us that regardless of what happens in our life, that we stand firm in the Lord. When we encounter conflict, that we agree in the Lord. And when we face the many highs and the many lows that life will throw our way, that we rejoice, then our joy is rightly placed, that we rejoice in the Lord. Amen? I'm gonna invite the band out. We're gonna close this morning by uh, celebrating through communion what Christ has done for us. Uh, In communion, I like to think we get to do three things. First, we look back. We look back at what Christ has done for us that he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live even if we tried to, which we don't. That he died the death you and I deserve to die to pay the penalty for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. The Bible said he rose from the dead, defeating death so that in Christ you and I may truly live. We look back at what Christ has done. By the way, if you didn't get one of these, you can go ahead and slip your hand up and one of our people will, will bring some communions around. There's two little sides to the cup. There's a bread side and juice side. Make sure you open the the correct one the right way. Otherwise, it's messy. We look back at what Christ has done. Secondly, we look in. We look in to see if we are in the Lord. Are we just about the Lord? Are we by the Lord? Are we for the Lord? Those are all good things. But we need to ask the question, am I in the Lord? Have I placed my faith, my trust? Do I believe in who Jesus is? Not just believe he existed or know about him. Do I really know him? Have I trusted him for my salvation? We look back at what he's done. We look in to examine our hearts. And then thirdly and finally, we look forward. Because someday the Bible says Jesus will will come back and he'll bring us home. That perfect kingdom, perfect king, perfect power. And we get to live with him forever. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he was enjoying a meal in the upper room with his disciples, and during the meal, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we come before you this morning thanking you for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed. Jesus, you said no one takes my life. I only lay it down freely. And God, this morning we come before you so grateful 
that you laid down your life for us. That we could have a real relationship with you, God, not just a relationship that's about you or by you or for you, but a relationship that can be lived in the Lord. God, would we stand firm in our faith with whatever situation we might face, that we'd stand firm in the Lord. God, if there's any conflicts going on within our church family, God, would you help them agree in the Lord? And if they need help, their true companion, Highlands Church, is here to help them work through it. God, we pray for those in the church this morning who are working through some conflict. God, I pray for those who maybe you've put it on their heart this morning that there's some conflict they need to start working through. God, would you be with them in that process? That can be such a painful and confusing experience to look back at some hurt that's been done to you or some pain that's been caused. God, would you be with them as they process through that? Would you put some people in their life who can be on their team, who can love them, who can care for them, who can pray with them, cry with them, be a great companion to them in that process? God, we also come before you this morning rejoicing in the Lord. God, there's so many things going on uh, in the lives of the people in this room. God, there's pain, there's sorrow. God, but there's also things to be glad about. There's success. There's some people who are living in a season of plenty. God, regardless of what season we find ourselves in this morning, we come to you and we rejoice in the Lord. And we know that you are the only constant God, for those who are encountering trials of of various kind, God, I ask that you would come comfort them. That's who you are. You are our comforter. Would you comfort them in their trial this morning? God, we come to you now with um, gladness in our hearts, rejoicing in who you are and what you've done and what you're gonna continue doing in our lives. God, we worship you. We worship you for moving in this place this morning, for convicting our hearts, helping us follow you. God, be with us now that we would respond appropriately as we sing in Christ and in Christ alone. Would our hope be found in you? Would our help be found in you? Would we be found in the Lord this morning? We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close in worship? If you're here this morning and you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, we love to help you. Um, follow him and take your next step of professing faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. You can do that this morning. Uh, There's a couple ways that we would love to participate with you in that just to help you take your next step and help you grow in your faith and your newfound relationship with Jesus. One of the best ways you can do that would be to grab a connect card in the seat back in front of you, drop your name on there, and check the box that says, "I, I, I placed my faith in Jesus this morning, and we'll follow up with you this week, help you connect to a small group, and help you grow in your faith and your commitment with the Lord. Highlands, we serve an amazing God, amen? Regardless of what happens in our life, we can rejoice in him. Regardless of what happens in our life and in our relationships, we can agree in the Lord with one another. Regardless of what happens in our life, we can stand firm in the Lord, recognize a different kingdom, focus on a different king, and embrace the power that comes from that king. And in doing so, we can live a life that's truly rooted in the Lord. Live a life pleasing to the Lord this week. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.